the moment has arrived. I'm Tom Dickinson, and you're listening to Season 1, Episode 2 of The Moment, which just so happens to be a podcast about Doctor Who. If you've already heard last week's episode, welcome back. And if you've already heard next week's episode, welcome forward. If you haven't heard the show before, then I'll explain it briefly. Each week I'm asking a different fan of Doctor Who to tell me all about a particular moment in the show's history that means a lot to them. Last week, we kicked things off in the early days of the 11th Doctor era, with a critical moment of characterization at the beginning of Matt Smith's second episode. This week, we're skipping ahead from one regeneration to the next. Comedian and writer Riley Silverman joined me to chat about a moment with particular resonance for her during the debut episode of Peter Capaldi's 12th Doctor, Deep Breath. Cast your mind back, it's August 2014, and after the delirious heights of celebration for the show's 50th anniversary in late 2013, you might have thought the Doctor Who production team would have trouble keeping up the energy, but you'd have been wrong. Since the arrival of a new Doctor, played by an actor with such impressive credentials as Peter Capaldi, brought another barrage of hype for the premiere of Series 8, complete with cinema screenings and a feature-length runtime to match. It's been a long, strange journey, especially for the Doctor's companion, Clara Oswald. She's grown accustomed to his face, Matt Smith's face, that is, and she doesn't quite take to the new one right away. During the climax of the episode, the Doctor and Clara are separated, and Clara is left wondering if she's even going to see the Doctor again, or if he's left her stranded in Victorian London without a ride home. But sure enough, the TARDIS materializes, Clara walks inside, and the two are off again, flying through the vortex of time and space. The Doctor asks Clara whether she wants to stay with him, and, as if on cue, the TARDIS lands in the present day. That's where Riley's moment picks up. I'm home. He's basically giving her the option of leaving. If you want to be. And he doesn't want her to leave, but he's, like, brought her back. I'm sorry. I don't think I know who you are anymore. And it's kind of like letting her go, and then she receives a phone call. Uh, hello? It's me. Yes, it's you. Who's this? From the previous doctor, Matt Smith's doctor. The doctor. Telling her, like, hey, this yes. man in front of you is going to be very scared and confused, and he's going to need you. Clara, please. Hey, for me. Help him. And then... He asked you a question. Capaldi's fourth doctor is saying, like... Will you help me? You shouldn't have been listening. I'm not on the phone. I'm right in front of you. I wasn't. I didn't need to. That was me talking. And you look at me and you don't see me. You can't see me, can you? You you look at me and you, you can't see me. It's just... Do you have an idea what that's like? It was a very, very emotionally heavy moment in that episode. I'm not on the phone. I'm right here. It was a departure, I feel like, from a lot of how the emotions have been on the show up to that Standing point. in front of you. It really drew me in a lot. There's a lot going on there and a lot that it... Please, just... It's to this day, like, I still get a little bit teared up about it when I think about it. Just see me. Wow, that's just... That's, that says it all right there. So around the time that episode aired, which was in the fall of 2014, I had started making appointments to go to the LGBT center in Los Angeles and visit doctors and um, begin my transition from living as a man to transitioning to myself as, a, as an out trans woman. And I'd already been out for a while, but I was starting like hormone replacement therapy and I was like moving forward in the medical capacity. I was like in a really vulnerable emotional state at that point in my life because I was about to make this major, major change and, and 
the last thing we'd heard the doctor say at the end of the time the doctor previously at the end of the last season was this speech about how we are all different people all through our lives and that's okay that's good you've got to keep moving so long as you remember all the people that you used to be and then we kind of met this new doctor and then we have this scene where he's a little bit further along in his journey and this moment where he says to clara i'm standing right in front of you and you don't see me please just see me like that resonated so much with me because it was such this moment of like all i want is for the world to see me and they don't i'm like begging them to and all i'm asking is for somebody to the phrase just see me has like meant so much to me and like when i connect with someone new or people who didn't know me before i transitioned or people who don't see me as the person i was before i transitioned at all i i the idea that like somebody sees me is like a really like significant thing in my life yeah wow that's yeah I, I can totally see that that's yeah that makes a lot of sense you know there's all this talk about peter's doctor being one of the more alien doctors and the more like less human behaving but i don't agree with that at all and in the entire run of his doctor i don't think that's true and this moment for me divorced of what i'm saying about myself and my transition this moment is the doctor in a moment of like personal weakness and as a, as a character who is, like, really insecure and unsure of himself, and he's standing in front of a person who up until this point has been his friend, begging, like, he's saying, like, please see me, please don't leave me right now, because I need someone who knows me, because I don't know myself, and I need someone to, to make sure that I'm still me, and that cares about me, because I don't want to be alone. I, I think that the 12th Doctor, for me, is the most relatable of all the Doctors. I, I think that when I first started the show with, with Eccleston, I really liked his Doctor. And for a while, I was someone who's kind of stand a little bit for Tennant's Doctor. But the more that I've, I've like watched of this show, the, the thing is, like, Tennant's Doctor always felt like a, a fun ideal. Like, this very confident and, like, kind of quirky and, like, silly, fun doctor but capaldi's doctor always feels more like the doctor that i see myself as because he's very flawed and he gets angry and he like screws up and kind of gets like frustrated with himself when he does and like lashes out occasionally when he does and that's all stuff that i relate to yeah i I think it's i think he's very human i I mean there's there's a certain outsiderness to him and he has difficulty relating to other people but you know in some ways that's a very human thing in and of itself oh i think it's extremely human in this episode in deep breath one of the questions that comes up is like why why this face why was he young before and now he's old and vastra kind of invites us to think of that as he, f- he feels ready to expose a little bit more of himself to well so the world in general but to, to clara very specifically oh i agree the young man disappeared the veil lifted he trusted you. Which is why the fact that it's Clara specifically who, who can't see him is so devastating to him in that moment. And why it's so, it's really emotional that, that moment where she, the switch kind of seems to flip from her, for her and she, she goes from not being able to see him and then she kind of squints at him and, and looks at him and then all of a sudden Thank you. she does. For what? Phoning. Yeah. And there's that, like, she hugs him, and then actually he's not really able to hug her yet. Like, he's not sure what to do with that. I, I, I don't think that I'm a hugging person. Now. As much as he was begging her to, to still appreciate him, suddenly when she does, he's like, oh, I'm not sure I was ready for you just to flip back to me real quickly, you know? 
I actually even got a tattoo from this episode on my it's on my right wrist and it actually says deep breath and it's written in clockwork font back in March when I first started putting out on Twitter asking people about their moments you mentioned this one and I saw that tattoo it looks real cool yeah it's really nice it was done by a woman named Emily Effler and she works out of the Honorable Society in Los Angeles and she designed it I, I told her my idea all I said was I wanted to say deep breath and I wanted to have a clock theme to it and a hidden 12 and she made this design that was like I thought she was going to give me like a clock face and have the words and like that was going to be it and when she sent me her actual design it was so beautiful that I was like oh my god I, I can't believe that you made this really amazing design off of my very basic instructions but it's a cool tattoo for me because it represents a really important part in my life and it represents this kind of painful but also bittersweet and excited moment there's a lot of emotions there but also i chose to put deep breath instead of something like just see me because I felt like Just See Me carries a lot of pain. Hmm. I don't know if I need a constant reminder that not everybody sees me. Because like that's already my life. But Deep Breath felt much more hopeful. Because it's the name of the episode, first of all. And so it's like a new beginning kind of moment. And also, it's just a good note to self. Like, take a deep breath. Like, you've got this. Like, it's like a good just a good like relax and calm down and there was a while after I got it where I would have moments where I was stressing out or freaking out or whatever or like having a a dysphoric breakdown and I would just look down on my arm and kind of take a deep breath and calm down and now it's kind of almost become second nature like I just I catch myself doing it more and more and I think like having this kind of brand helps me do that that is that is so cool one of the things that I love it can be true of almost any form of media. But I think Doctor Who is like particularly conducive to this is that there's no way that when when Stephen Moffat was writing this episode, he intended for the title of it to be, you know, a mantra that a person could continually come back to. I mean, that can't have been what he was thinking. But it's so great how like we managed to find these things. Yeah, I may have actually freaked him out a little bit at Gallifrey one this year, because I saw him in the bar and I kind of approached him sheepishly. And I may have dumped all of what I just told to you on him in like a 30 second you you, you were someone I wrote the thing and then I was transitioning and then I saw that like all this kind of like him in one moment like and then I read this thing and this tattoo I look at it it means like and he's probably like I don't know what's happening but this person seems to like what I did so I'm he like he like shook my hand I was like I want to hear more of that and like I was like uh I I, I don't it was so I felt so awkward because like I I never realized just how I always kind of contribute that scene or attribute that scene to Peter Capaldi. And it didn't hit me until at Galley, I actually ended up asking Moffat a question during one of his panels. And that was the first time I'd ever spoken to him. When I went to the microphone and he acknowledged me and he complimented my 13th Dr. Cosplay that I had on, I like suddenly, and I'm a professional comedian, I'm a bro- I've been on mic and done lots of things. Suddenly when he spoke to me, I got super nervous and anxious and I like realized, oh, this is the guy who wrote this thing that meant this much to you and like carried you through a really important part of your life. Like as much as you want to, you know, attribute the 12th doctor to this, this is the person who wrote the 12th doctor. So I, yeah, suddenly I got super fangirly with him and I, I'm still a little bit awkward and embarrassed about it, but he seemed cool about it. I'm, I'm curious to know, aside from this one scene, what is your opinion of the episode as a whole? I overall like the episode. I think the first act is a little bit rough. I really hate the scene where he's in the bedroom and he's like baffled at what the concept of a bedroom is supposed to be. Yeah. Okay, what do you do when you're awake? You leave the room. So you've got a whole room for not being awakened. But what's the point? You're just missing the room and don't look at That the- felt so forced. And I, that, that is a pretty painful moment of dialogue. And otherwise, I think a decent episode. But I love 
the scene where he and Clara meet up at the restaurant where the robot men are creating like the fake larder or whatever. Mm-hmm. The chemistry between Peter Capaldi and are you cross with me? I am not cross. Jenna Coleman in that scene. But if I was cross, it would be your fault. And is so good. Yes, I am cross. I guess that. I am extremely cross. And if I hadn't changed my face, would you be cross? I would be cross if I wasn't cross. Why? They're and they're mad at each other because they're both feeling very hurt, but they're also still like you can't deny that they have something and it's it very much feels like when you're fighting with a really good friend and you're not even 100 percent sure why you're fighting yeah yeah i just i love that scene so much and i i for me that's where i really started to like feel more confident like okay now i kind of get what's happening with these two characters now and i definitely can kind of see them being because you know you you don't know for that first half hour like what is going to be happening with this doctor this is kind of all over the place Whereas with 11th Hour, I felt like when Matt Smith first came in, Mm. like that was essentially a soft reboot of the show because we have a new showrunner and we have a whole new cast and we have basically like we kind of jettisoned all of the beats from the Tenant era for the most part and it looks different. And it felt like the 11th Hour is what I consider one of the best episodes to tell someone if they want to start watching Doctor Who, start with this episode. Yeah. Whereas with Deep Breath, I don't feel like you can do that as well. I I think Deep Breath... There's so much going on that requires you to understand who this character has been and what we've seen with him. And so in that regard, like it's a little bit tougher of an episode. And I think it's a little bit uncomfortable. But overall, I really like it. And I, like I said, that scene with Clara and the doctor in the restaurant, I love the scene with him and the robot man, the clockwork guy, with the, the whole thing about like if you keep breaking your broom and replacing parts. You replace the hand, and then later you replace the brush. And you do that over and over again. Is it still the same broom answer? No, of course it isn't, but you can still sweep the floor. Where it's a little bit on the nose, but it works somehow. And then you also have this question of, Did he push you out of that thing? Or did you fall? Couldn't really tell. You never really get an answer to that, but you're supposed to kind of, I think, assume a doctor pushed him, but... It's interesting. Is that is that what you assume? I actually don't know. I Because at that era, I, I kind of could see that particular version of a doctor doing it, but I also... I don't really want to believe the Doctor would do it. I do like that ambiguity. I think it's it's one part of what makes this episode kind of uncomfortable. And for some people who got really turned off to the show when Capaldi became the Doctor, that was a big part of it. I, I don't find myself in that camp, but I can totally understand why someone might. Yeah, I think that there was definitely a period of time where they struggled as a writing team to figure out how they were going to present this Doctor. Like, I, I, I've been told, and they, they say it a lot of times, on panels that they don't really write the scripts for the actor they just write the doctor and then let the actor kind of fill in the gaps but i also have heard contradictory statements to that where i've heard the trouble with writing for capaldi following writing for smith is they both kind of work in the opposite direction whereas when you write a very like dark script for smith he can find ways to make it kind of quirky and fun i've got 12 minutes that's good 12 minutes to live how is that good? Oh, you can do loads in 12 minutes. It's like a mint, buy a sledge, have a fast bath. Whereas Capaldi, he can find a way to make some of the quirkier stuff a little bit darker or a little bit heavier because the way he presents it is different. These are attack eyebrows. You can take bottle tops off with these. <laughs> they are mighty eyebrows indeed, sir. They're cross. <laughs> They're crosser than the rest of my face. And so I think a lot of the scripts in his se- his first season, had they been given to Smith would have played very differently. There's a couple episodes in his first season where I feel like they really started to understand, oh, this is how you write this Doctor. And that was, I think that Mummy was one of them. I think that Flatlines is one of them. And I think where they really, really nailed it and then worked with it from that moment on was Last Christmas. Yeah, yeah. But I think as a result of that, 
off-screen attempt to figure out how to write the character, the in-character version of that creates this narrative of not being sure how you feel about this doctor. Also, another thread throughout his era is being able to see someone or not being able to see someone. That becomes like a really prominent recurring motif for him and Clara, especially, uh, like, I mean, in the opening scene of Deep Breath, he can't tell the difference between Clara and Strax. And well, you're very similar heights. Yeah. Maybe you should wear labels. You might even have something like face blindness. And are you the same people as before? Of course they are. Oh, sorry, I deleted you. Well, that's not a very nice attitude, is it? In Last Christmas, in that scene where Clara is, in fact, very old, he sees her as very young. Can you really see no difference in me? Clara Oswald. You'll never look any different to me. And then there's Hellbent, where he's... She could be me, for all you know. ...staring her right in the face, but... There's one thing I know about her. Just one thing. You can't tell that it's her. If I met her again, I'd absolutely know. And that kind of, to some extent, continues right on to... Nobody imitates Bill Potts. Nobody mocks Bill Potts. Twice Upon a Time, where... Bill Potts is standing right in front of you. That's that's one of the reasons why this moment, I, I love it so much, because it's like, oh, this is a motif. And so I'm returning back to this episode after the fact and realizing it was so prominent here uh, really kind of gave me a thrill. That's a really interesting perspective on it that I've never thought of before. And I really like I'm so excited that you just told me that that idea, because looking back on it now, I totally see what you're saying. And that's awesome. Yeah, and, and I think it even extends to you, you just mentioned the notion that he he doesn't quite know what to do with with the hug. And then there's almost like a, a final reveal of of what that means in Death in Heaven where he says never trust dog it's just a way to hide your face and this is a moment where he wants nothing more than for his face to be seen whereas in that moment he and clara are you know he's lying about having found gallifrey and she's lying about danny pink still being around so they are very much trying to avoid seeing one another so seeing one another and not seeing one another that's you know you can kind of chart their their journey with with that motif of, you know, seeing in, to some extent, the sonic sunglasses and hiding hiding his shame over not saving Davros with his screwdriver um, in Series 9. I think that kind of plays into that as well. That makes a lot of sense because especially that book ends with at the end of the season when he does finally go back to being the doctor and putting on his, his red velvet coat and having a new sonic screwdriver. It's kind of like that's where he's finally like moving forward from his shame a little bit. Yeah, and Clara gets to give him that screwdriver. Yeah, which is fantastic. I'm a very big apologist for Series 8. Like, a lot of people I know had a lot of problems with it and feel that it's, like, tonally inconsistent and it's a little bit meandering at times. But I actually think that the identity crisis the show seems to go through during that season, I think it's strangely the through line that season, besides Missy and the occasional cutaways to her nether sphere is the idea of Doctor doesn't know who he is. So, like, his character is very much struggling to figure himself out, and as a result, being occasionally cruel to Clara. Like, he's angry that he can't figure it out, and so he's, like, lashing out. And so you get these, like, shifts between his kind of disregard for safety and people's lives in Into the Dalek. A lot of people have died. Everything in here is dead. Do you know why that's good? There is nothing good To, by the end, when he's like, no, my only thing is to be an idiot. An idiot! With a box! And the screwdriver is passing through, helping out, learning. I think that this is the moment where the Doctor is finally starting to sort of atone for a lot of the destruction that's been caused in his wake. Eccleston is a little bit... I'm the only survivor. ...because of the time war and his pain from that. I'm left traveling on my own because there's no one else. But I feel like Tennant and Smith, they have their moments of introspection, but for the most part, they're kind of running from it the whole time. Yeah. The man who regrets and the man who forgets. 
Whereas I feel like Capaldi's Doctor coming off of Day of the Doctor and Time of the Doctor, like this is the first time where he's kind of slowed down a bit and suddenly I'm the Doctor. you really feel the whole time I've lived for over 2,000 years. The weight and not all of them were good. on his shoulders from his history. I've made many mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And it's about time that I did something about that. So I think that's a lot of what's happening here and why he's older and more tired. He's like, this is the person that I really am underneath the goofier veneer. Yeah. I really like the line in that episode when he's in the alleyway with, uh, with uh, the late Elizabeth Slayton's husband. I was covered in lines, but I didn't do the frowning. Who frowned me this face? Who frowned me this face? Like I, that's such an interesting concept, and I just love the way that's that's written in the way it's delivered. I, that that's another thing that that kind of gets picked up in a later episode where. Um, I know where I got this face, and I know what it's for. The the girl who died. Okay, what's it for? To remind suggests me. that he's subconsciously sending himself to a message. To hold me to the mark. I'm the doctor. And I save people. Just remember to save anybody when you can. Save somebody. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I also think about how that plays into the regeneration into Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. If there's the implication that the Doctor has some degree of control over his regenerations, even if it's a subconscious one, or her regenerations, I should say. It kind of plays into the way that Vastra talks about that he had this younger kind of pretty boy face two times in a row to be accepted, but now he's like letting his guard down a little bit. I, I almost, in my mind, my headcanon is that the regeneration works similarly to the chameleon circuit on the TARDIS. And this is why he hasn't regenerated into a female incarnation before, is that he's been coming to Earth more than anywhere else. And so he's kind of been regenerating in order to blend in with what is essentially contemporary Earth society as he's regularly experiencing it. Up until now, it hasn't really been one where he could definitely come to Earth looking like a woman and speaking with any sort of authority. But now he's kind of like at a point where that like he's recognizing that 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 is something that's now possible. That's how I get around the argument of why 12 faces, 13 faces before and why this one being different now. And the answer, I mean, the real answer is why not? But that's kind of in my head why it's now going to be different. So do you think that's because societies on the planet have changed or do you think that's because of a change within the character? We obviously have now had a bit of a retcon that the character sees it differently. But I, I think it's more the society on the planet. I think it's the Doctor understanding that now coming to Earth, it's not as strictly misogynist of a society and that the Doctor can come to Earth as a woman and have a little bit more freedom to express herself and, and like still be kind of given some authority in situations. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how Whitaker's Doctor is taken in scenes where she kind of walks in and just starts speaking the way that like Tom Baker's Doctor would. I, I'm kind of imagining it might work a little bit closer to how Troughton's Doctor would, where people kind of underestimate the Doctor and then that's how the Doctor is able to play with their expectations and get his agenda across. I think she might be doing a similar thing. I'm curious to see where they're going to go with that. I would honestly be okay if Oh Brilliant is the only time a doctor ever acknowledges that they change genders. Sure. Maybe like a, a couple of jokes here and there of like, oh, you look different now. Yeah, don't I always or something. I don't know. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they play that off. And speaking of playing it off, this episode of The Moment has now come to a close. So it's time for the music to play us off. I owe you an apology for that terrible segue, and I owe a major thank you to my guest this week, Riley Silverman, who you can follow on Twitter at Riley J. Silverman. Riley writes for Sci-Fi Wire's Fangirls page, which is spelled F-A-N-G-R-R-L-S, and she's also the head writer on International Waters, a very funny transatlantic pop culture quiz show on the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. 
Oh, and by the way, she's also a contributing writer to that same network's new scripted science fiction sitcom, Bubble, which is really good and which you should definitely listen to. She also appeared in a couple of episodes of Take My Wife. Look, what I'm trying to say is that Riley is involved in a lot of really good stuff, and you should check that stuff out. As for the stuff you're checking out right now, you can find more info about this show, including notes, links, and other miscellany over at themomentpod.com. If you want to share what you think about the show, questions, comments, concerns, the show is at themomentpod on Twitter. Do at me. And by the way, I wanted to take a moment just to say thank you to those of you who've said positive things about the show, particularly about the editorial segment last week. Like I said, it's not typical of how I plan on ending each episode of the show. Generally, I just want to let the guest do the majority of the talking. But, you know, some things just got to be said. And with that said, I am off to watch the 50-second long teaser trailer for Series 11 on an endless loop while I wait for news from tomorrow's San Diego Comic-Con panel. I'm Tom Dickinson, and I'll be back in a moment. <laughs>